good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, let's turn in the Word of God tonight again to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, we'll read together again the, in the text of what we know to be uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the prayer, of course, that the Lord gave to His disciples. The Lord had no sin to be forgiven, uh, so therefore it's the Lord's instruction to His disciples. Uh, and it's a blessing, again, to have such clear and simple instruction in the matter of prayer from our Lord Himself. And so Matthew 6 and verse number 9, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Amen. I remind you once more tonight that this prayer divides itself into two parts. It's so noted because of the language used, the thy language in the first three petitions, hallowed be thy name, thy will, and thy kingdom. And then the second three petitions have to do with the or and the us petitions. We have the prayer, give us this day, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation. And so those who have written and preached upon this prayer have emphasized that division that is in the petition that our prayers, that they would have a Godward focus and that our chief concern in prayer would be for the name, the kingdom, and the will of God. But when you begin to think about the second half of the prayer, what stands out is the attention that is given to the issue of sin. Sin comes to the fore. Remember again that the Lord is teaching the disciples what they are to pray as those who believe in him. And this is a prayer for those who are subjects of the king, who are part of the kingdom of Christ. These are kingdom petitions. And as those who submit to Christ, well, there is this important issue of sin. In simple terms, we are looking at the matter of the prayer that God would forgive us our sins when we sin, and that God would help us not to sin. That's a simple understanding of the last two petitions. Dr. Cairn puts it this way, we are to pray for pardon, and we are to pray for prevention. In fact, the reference to the daily bread in some ways speaks of the problem of sin. Now, from the curse of the fall, we have to pray for the obtaining of bread, bread itself coming in the grace of God in light of our fall into sin. And so we're looking at how we live in a fallen world with our own fallen nature. We see that even our personal prayers, that they center on God. That as we are believers, we are praying to a God who bids us to come and who's given us instructions as to those things that are first importance in our prayer life. We live in absolute dependence on the provision of God. 
Every day we live, every breath we breathe, we do so in absolute dependence upon God. We need the pardon of God, and we covet the power of God in the battle with sin. You see, these personal prayers, they, they, they focus on our walk with God. We want to walk in the freedom of a clean conscience, and we want to pray that nothing will cause us to sin and impact our communion with God. Do you see how this understanding highlights what is really important in the Christian life? It's not all the stuff you can accumulate. It's the fact that day by day, you know, peace of conscience and a reconciled walk with God. It is remarkable again to contemplate the reality of sin in the life of the children of God. Even those of us who by grace have come to be justified and accepted by God, we have this ongoing battle with sin and we must always guard ourselves that we don't become comfortable and sleep into sin. We must be alert and watchful. And those of you who have been saved for some time will testify that the longer you have been saved, the more aware you are of sin in your life. It's part of Christian maturity that day by day you become more and more conscious of the sin that is in your life. I just, I suppose I feel the burden continually that we can allow ourselves to be lethargic in our Christian lives and we can literally sleepwalk, leaving the right way, falling into bypath meadow and then in Doubting Castle under giant despair. We can become complacent. We can take our, our Christian walk for granted. We, we presume that well, we believe that we're forgiven. We believe that justification is a once and for all experience. Uh, and therefore, we just simply drift through life. And before we know it, we're in the trap of Satan. And we've fallen and we've lost out in our communion with God. And it may well be that for some, and it may be the sign that they're living with an unregenerate heart. Because the reason they don't care for their soul is because their heart is still dead in sin. And so we saw the last time in the first part of this petition in verse 13, and we saw when we're praying, lead us not into temptation, we saw that we're praying that God would not permit us to be overcome by temptation. That's the prayer. We saw how this can be defended in the, the Word of God and perhaps chiefly by the warning of Christ in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. It's the concept of temptation. It's something you can enter into. And so we're praying, lead us not into temptation. Bring us not into the power of temptation. Do not allow us to be overcome by temptation. And thus, we thought about our duty to guard ourselves, not only from sin, but to be watchful to those temptations, to watch ourselves, and that we'd flee from temptation itself. To follow the example of Christ when he was faced with temptation, we must make sure that we're in the Word of God, familiar with the Word of God to fight temptation, and also bring ourselves in the spirit of prayer, asking for the Lord's grace. And so this petition in verse 13 has these two parts. Lead us not into temptation, approaches sin from the negative aspect. And then we find a positive petition in verse 13 in the part B, but deliver us from evil. 
So not only are we to pray that we don't succumb to temptation, we are to pray that God would deliver us from evil. And so with that in mind, I want to begin tonight by thinking about the danger that is encountered here. Deliver us from evil. This word deliver is used consistently with the thought of being rescued from a position of peril. It's used even in Matthew 27 regarding Christ on the cross. Those who mock him, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. And to the mind of those mockers, Christ was in the position of greatest danger. And they're saying, let him be delivered. And the word itself indicating a rescuing from peril. But turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and you'll see. Again, in Paul's writings, how this word is used with the sense of danger. 2 Timothy 3 in the verse 11. And Paul is describing his experiences, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. And so for a time, he found himself in great peril and danger, persecutions, afflictions. But they did not result in the end of his life. He's writing Second Timothy with the end of his life approaching. He's understood that he's fought the good fight. He's finished the course. And so now he's thinking in chapter 3, well, there were times in the past when the Lord rescued him physically, literally, out of those perils. And then you have in the verse number 17 of chapter 4, uh, a similar thing where he, was, he says, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. To be in the mouth of a lion, and of course, metaphorically speaking here, to be in the mouth of a lion is to be in a place of great danger. And so all I'm asking you to think about to begin with is that when the Lord tells us to pray, deliver us from evil, he's indicating there is real and significant danger that's involved in the Christian life. You're in a place in your Christian experience whereby you must understand that day by day, there are dangers on the right and the left, dangers behind and dangers in front. And we must, we must understand that. And the danger here is given the term evil. Evil. It is a very general word used for things that are wicked, grievous, hurtful, or painful. Uh, I remind you of what we saw last time that it is part of the will of God at times for God's people to be tried and to, to suffer even physical pain. And so we should not think of evil here as a petition that God would spare us from anything bad in our lives. Although the word has even that general connotation. We, we are not to pray that. And what's involved here is the issue of sin. This word evil is used here with the, the definite article. It's not in our translation. Delivered us from the evil. And we would often use the word the to translate that article from the, the Greek. Uh, but just, just so you're clear, uh, your Bible translators are not in the wrong here. The definite article in the Greek does not always require translation. It's there sometimes for sense. And so what you have here is a, is a two-word two original, or two words in the original, deliver us from the evil, but that itself is a help to us 
It's a help to us as we begin to think about the meaning. Because when the word evil is used along with the definite article, it is used in two main ways. And these two main ways are closely related. It is used of Satan. Turn to Matthew 13, please. Matthew 13, and let's just note a number of places where this word evil, along with a definite article, is used with respect to Satan. Matthew 13, the verse number 19, and then the description of the, uh, the parable of the sower, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one. There's the word, the wicked one. It's a description of Satan's activity. Verse number 38 of Matthew 13. The field is the world, the good seed of the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Again, the same, the same form being used here in Matthew chapter 13. It's also used that way in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and the verse 16 where it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication, the Spirit watching there, sorry, that's verse 18, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And of course, the context is the devil, verse 11, against the wiles of the devil. But in verse 16, the devil termed as the wicked. And then turn, please, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2 and the verse number 13. I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. Again, the same sense of the words being used here. They've, they've overcome Satan in their battle with sin. It's a commendation for their fortitude in their Christian life. And then one of the reference is 1 John, I'm sorry, two more. 1 John 3 in the verse number 12. Notice Cain, he was off that wicked one and slew his brother. And then chapter 5 of 1 John and the verse number 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. So we're not expounding these texts. I'm just simply showing you the, the, the common usage of the word evil or wicked with the definite article often is a reference to Satan and his person. But it's also used, actually, in the very next verse in 1 John 5, verse 19, it's used in a more general sense with regards to uh, to, to wickedness itself. Verse 19, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. <coughs> but even there, it is a connection with the work of the devil. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, that those who are still dead in their sins, uh, they're walking according to the prince of the power of the air who worketh in them. And so we have here uh, this warning that we would be careful, be aware of the danger. And the danger is of Satan and his activity in this world that would harm the child of God. And so we're to pray. We're to pray that God would rescue us from sin in all forms, especially as propagated by the devil. And so we, we must not trivialize the foe we face. The Lord has given us this prayer. 
Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from sin. Deliver us from the influence of the devil. I would would assert that the child of God cannot be demon-possessed. We have the Holy Spirit. We cannot have a demon cohabiting with the Holy Ghost. But if the devil and his angels can attack the Savior, so the devil and his angels can attack us. He is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is the dragon or adversary. The terms that are used for the Satan or for Satan are, are terms that denote danger. His desire is to destroy. Oh, praise God, he will not succeed. None can pluck us from the Father's hand. But let us not be unmindful of danger. And let us not presume that because we're safe in the Father's hand, that therefore we are not to use the means of prayer. We are kept by God in answer in part to your prayers. Deliver us from evil. Only by prayerfully depending on God's grace and strength will we be delivered from ruin. This, is, again, is an important thing to understand in the Christian life. The outcome is secure. Victory is certain. But God's people are to use the means to bring about those ends. And whilst we believe, and you take for example, we believe that the church of Christ will infallibly be built. We believe that sinners will infallibly be saved, and the outcome is guaranteed. Yet it is the will of God and the purpose of God that we preach and pray for lost souls. And so it is in our sanctification. Our glorification is certain. Our sanctification cannot fail. But God has ordained these means whereby that comes to pass. And the Lord himself has told us, pray, deliver us from evil. And so having thought about the danger encountered, what are the devices employed? Well, what does the devil do? And how does the devil seek to to damage and destroy and bring harm to the children of the king? Well, the Bible refers to, and Paul refers to, the wiles of the devil. His devices are used, and and I just want to give give you a flavor here. I want to remind you again, the devil is not God, and neither omnipresent nor omnipotent. But his wicked influence is clear to see in the world. And when you, when you listen to what I'm going to say regarding the influence of the devil, I do believe you will see that there are dangers that are pressing even for you in a church such as this. The devil, uh, his devices include denials of the authority and the veracity of God and his word. This comes first because this is the devil's first action. We have it recorded for us in the garden. He attacks the scriptures. We think of the garden. Hath God said. It's an attack upon the authority and the veracity of God as he reveals his will in his word. And thus I think it's right that we pray, deliver us from liberalism. I'm using that term in the historical sense of the word, whereby the latter part of the 19th century into the early part of the 20th century, there was an advance of those who, through the action of the devil, began to propagate a liberal theology regarding the inerrancy of the Word of God, that the Word of God was helpful, but not inerrant. 
And there are things in history or in science whereby the Word of God could be mistaken. And there was no need to believe in the miraculous. These are fables and stories to, to teach us about God, perhaps, but they, they don't need to be understood as historically accurate. And so liberalism came in and the church suffered greatly. Be careful. The devil delights in denying the authority and veracity of God and his word. The devil also delights in the decoration of sin. You think of Eve. She was shown the fruit in its beauty without seeing the effect of eating. The devil delights in decorating sin, making sin look attractive to young people. Sin is colorful. It's got all of these pleasant things that are to the eye, and the devil hides the hook within the bait. And so, young people, just because it looks good and you think it'll feel good, just beware of the fact the devil is the expert in decorating sin. The devil also delights in doctrinal error. First Timothy 4 refers to the last days and the doctrines of devils. But look, look at Ephesians 4 and the verse number 14. Paul is dealing with the blessing of the gifts of the church and the outcome of those gifts being maturity. And he speaks in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. What I want you to notice is the words, the three words, lie in wait. That's the same word translated only in one other place. And it's translated in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, with the word wiles. The devil lies in wait to destroy. It's a picture from the natural world of an animal chasing a prey and lying in wait. If you like, behind a bush and they, they see their prey going past and they, they pounce. But the same word is used by Paul here with regards to doctrinal error. And the sense is the devil uses doctrinal error to ruin and to deceive the people of God. You've also got the delight the devil has in using difficulties. Things that may providentially arise in our lives. You think of Job 1. and You think of the Lord's permission that Satan would try Job. Under God's restraint, the devil brings difficulties, loss, People perish. Possessions are lost. Health is lost. Happiness is lost. So that he would deny God. That was the devil's purpose. The devil uses these things. Oh, we understand God gave permission in that chapter. But note the malice of the evil one. He would use difficulties. Not with the aim of our sanctification. That's what God does. But difficulties so that we would curse God and die. And so Paul, under God, was kept from pride and spoke of the messenger of Satan that buffeted him. Satan sought to destroy him. God was pleased to use it for his good. But don't, don't miss the point. Hardships can come into our lives as the Lord allows the devil to bring those things into our experience. And of course... We can't go on without thinking about the doubts. The devil delights to use doubts in the heart of the Christian. He is the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. 
Joshua the high priest, Zechariah 3, it is Satan who is there resisting him. You think of the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, and you see the emphasis, verse number 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, the shield that protects the heart, faith that is the gospel. It is the gospel that is the remedy for the fiery darts of the wicked one. And the sense, I believe, is that the darts of the devil are aimed at our hearts so that we would lose heart and doubt God. And then we succumb to unbelief. So we take the shield of gospel faith to resist the devil. But you see the devices here. The devil would fire his darts so that we would succumb to doubt. Do you see the danger? I'm not making these things up. These are biblical principles founded upon the Word of God where God in His grace warns us. And then Christ says, pray this, deliver us from evil. You see, in praying this petition, we're asking for deliverance from the devil's devices so that the opposite would be true. We're praying, deliver us so that we would believe, trust, and obey the Word of God so that we would see sin not as attractive, but as exceedingly sinful, so that we would grow in truth and contend for the faith, so that we would not deny God in life's trials, and so that we would enjoy the blessing of full and lasting assurance. Which leads finally to the deliverance enjoyed. We are here exhorted to be active. I think of the words of James chapter 4 and the verse number 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In all of our praying, our prayers are to be accompanied by action. We're not to sit back, pray, and do nothing. We are to pray and then be active. We, we understand that in evangelism, and we should understand that also in the area of sanctification. As we pray for God to deliver us from evil, so we ourselves must be active in resisting the devil, watching his devices, fleeing from his devices. But such resistance must be in absolute dependence upon God, hence this prayer. Second Peter 2, we have the promise, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And then one last text as we close with a promise from the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And then verse 18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. When you take this prayer, deliver me from evil, you have the assurance that God will answer that prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.